just a few days ago, thousands, maybe millions of people dressed up in costumes and walked around in uh, the neighborhood and took in, on average, this is what research tells us, took in, on average, 3.4 pounds of Halloween candy every single Halloween. Uh, it's estimated that children eat about three cups of sugar uh, every Halloween season. I would argue that parents eat an additional two cups after those kids go to bed. Amen. So whether you celebrate trick-or-treat or not, I think everybody can agree that it is uh, cute to see these kids walking around the creative costumes, the little bitty babies who come up there in wagons, and so it is a cute thing to celebrate. But you know what's not fun or cute? It's walking around every day of your life as an adult pretending to be someone you're not, wearing a mask, uh, because you're afraid if you took off the mask and people saw the real you, that you would not be loved and you would not be accepted to the level of which your heart desires. Well, if that's you this morning, uh, let me share some encouraging news. There is hope for an insecure heart. So let me invite you to take your Bibles, your tablets, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12 this morning, and we've actually decided to continue our hope series. We're going to end it in October, um, but the feedback's been good. Folks, that's been super helpful for us, and so we're going to extend the series two weeks. Today, we're going to talk about hope for an insecure heart. Next week, we'll talk about hope for a shame-filled heart, and then we'll uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper on the 19th through a time of extended worship, uh, one of our favorite services of the year to do. And so let me tell you why I'm excited to preach about the issue of insecurity today. Uh, first thing is this, uh, because this is a struggle for every single person in the room, including me. The, the question is not, do you battle insecurity? The question is, at what level do you battle insecurity? And the second reason I'm excited to teach on this is to show you that once again, uh, that the Bible is completely sufficient uh, for every issue facing the inner man. We don't have to go outside the scriptures to find wisdom for the issues we're wrestling with in life. Uh, the Bible's not just good for life after death. The Bible's actually good for life before death. That When the Bible says it's uh, sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness, that actually is true. And so this whole series, I hope the Side product has been that you've seen, hey, all the answers for life struggles I have, I don't have to go outside the Bible, they're actually found in the Word of God. And so that's uh, exciting to think through this morning. The reason uh, that we picked this text is because it speaks to the solution to the battle of insecurity. And, and normally I don't tip my cards this early in the sermon, you're supposed to keep a little tension in your sermon, right? But uh, I'm just going to lay my cards on the table this morning and tell you this. The solution to insecurity is understanding and living out of your new identity in Jesus Christ. And this is a great base passage to anchor those thoughts in this morning because he speaks clearly to our identity and our position in Jesus Christ. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 this morning. He says, but you're a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Researchers who've studied this estimate that the average person battles five insecure thoughts every single day. Now, some of you hear that and you think, five a day, that's just before I get out of bed in the morning, right? 
This is a struggle that we all wrestle with. And the reality is that that's why so many people spend so much time and energy uh, putting on a mask, trying to market and create a brand or an image of, of not their real life, but the life that they hope that people would see, the highlighted life, the curated life on social media. Because he, here's what they're afraid. If the real truth were known, if all that were stripped away, if the mask were to be let down, then the real you, who, who's out there, uh, would not be loved or accepted for who they really are. And so if that's you and you're battling that this morning, it's been a life-dominating struggle for you. Let me repeat something we've said often and we'll keep repeating as long as I'm here is simply this, is that Jesus Christ knows you completely and yet loves you unconditionally. And if you would believe that truth to the point where you actually live out of the truth, it would literally be, for some of you, the most life-altering thing you've ever learned, heard, or experienced this morning. And so uh, we want to celebrate that and just keep driving that point home uh, this morning. Now, if you're a person who says, hey, I've, I've battled insecurity most of my life. It just haunted me, and every time I think it's behind me, it kind of pops up there on my shoulder, that little voice in the back of my head. Let me just encourage you with this. You're not alone. That all throughout scripture, we see people battling this issue of not understanding their identity and who they belong to. So they start going for, looking for meaning and, and identity in something outside of God. This is Adam and Eve forgetting in the garden that they're perfectly loved, perfectly provided for. So what do they do? They go out looking for a source of knowledge they don't have because they think, hey, finally, we'll be like God. That's what the serpent said. Our identity will be improved if we partake of this forbidden fruit. This is the children of Israel. Forgetting they had been freed from Egyptian slavery and forgetting they had been promised that when they get into the promised land, the victory is already decided by God's sovereign hand. And so they forget that and lose their identity of who they are and what God has done for them. So when they go and survey the scene, they come back and they say, hey, bad news. We saw the people in the land, and here's what they said. They're like giants. We're like grasshoppers. What do they do? They made a comparison and said, we don't measure up. That's, they were insecure about their identity. This is Peter walking on the water and forgetting that Jesus' provision for him uh, and not his performance is what was going to keep him from sinking. And, and so this is us as well. Every single time that we forget who we are in Jesus Christ when we don't live out of the truth of what he's declared is true about us, so therefore we try to create meaning and achievement and identity and value by uh, valuing ourselves through how and what we can accomplish. All right? So if you're listening, say Amen. Here's the key issue on insecurity in this battle. You're either going to get your value and your identity in life from personal performance or from your position in Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. You're going to get your value in life either from your personal performance, your accolades, your achievements, your titles, fill in the blank, whatever that you like, or it's going to be settled and take refuge from your position in Jesus Christ. And while the root issue is the same for all of us in this battle, understanding and living out of our new identity in Jesus Christ, the reality is insecurity presents itself in all kinds of forms. Sometimes it's just constant thoughts of self-loathing and self-hatred. Sometimes it's constantly feeling like you've been passed over or excluded. There's an in-group and you're not a part of it. Maybe that's happened all throughout elementary playground and the rest of your life you feel that way. Sometimes it's constantly comparing your life against the life of other people, which, by the way, uh, your real life you're living is not the real life that people are putting on social media. Did you know that? Like when they put a food picture out there, it's the greatest meal they've prepared their whole life. And nobody's putting out there, hey, just want to celebrate the fact this is the third time this week we had cereal, praise God, right? 
They're putting out these incredible vacation pictures. No one's saying, look at all these pictures. By the way, on the way to this beach, I threatened to kill everyone in the car. And so insecurity just constantly makes a comparison. And the, the conclusion of insecurity is I don't measure up. I don't have the resources. I don't have a, the right performance. I've, I've failed. I've not achieved these kinds of things. And so it prevents itself in all kinds of ways, even though the root solution is still the same. But also the root solution is not the same as the catalyst that caused insecurity. If you grew up with a parent who is incredibly critical and condemning and always finding fault in you, after a period of time when you hear that long enough, you may, you'll have a crisis of belief and all of a sudden you'll start to not live out of what Christ has said is true about you, but you'll start to live out of the things they said about you because after a period of time, you just begin to think, gosh, if, if this weren't true about me in some way, shape, or form, they wouldn't keep saying these things over and over. And so, so the root solution is always our identity in Christ, but the way that insecurity presents itself is varied and the catalyst that led to the crisis of belief is also varied as well. But the answer is the same. It's to finally and fully settle the issue that what Jesus has done for me and said about me is more true than everything else everyone has ever said about me in my life. That's the root solution to all this. So let me ask you with that backdrop in mind, let me ask you a very important question connected to this issue here this morning. The question is simply this. Who do you think you are? And in your honest moments, whatever answer you would give, if this weren't a crowded room, you could just blurt it out, we're in the privacy of my office, and I ask you that question, and you blurt out, listen, whatever answer came out of your mouth, it's going to fall into one of those two categories. You're either going to say, this is who I am, and you're going to, some kind of achievement, some kind of title, some kind of accolade, some kind of responsibility, something like that, or you're going to talk about, this is who I am in Jesus Christ. So no matter what answer you would give to that question, it's going to fall in one of those two categories, your performance or your position in Jesus Christ. Now, here's why that's important. Here's what I want you to understand. If you're listening, say amen. Performance-based identity is the gasoline that fuels the engine of insecurity because no one performs perfectly. If that's your identity, your performance, then guess what? You're as good as your your best day, and, and you're as bad as your worst day. So that thing breaks down real quickly. We all have inadequacies and, and failures on our resume, and so that's why it's crucial to form your identity in Jesus Christ, the one who has never failed on our behalf. And so as we begin to wrestle this issue and to make the decision to live out of that truth, to make the decision despite how you feel, First powerful truth you learn once you make that decision, despite how you feel, is that once you receive Jesus Christ, you belong to God. This week we were working through this passage together, and Pastor David, our Lebanon campus pastor, shared with me that several years ago, uh, he got to tour the uh, Woody Hayes Athletic Center at Ohio State University. He's like, Brad, I got to go into the, uh, I got to run out on the field I got to go to the locker room. I got to see all the trophies and the, uh, the banners and all that kind of stuff. He said, you go into a room. Uh, he said, there's a room in there where there's a couch and it's dark and there's a loud video playing and it's the last game of the last time they beat Michigan that just plays on a loop in there. He said, I got to go into the weight room. He said, Brad, I even got to go into the coach's office and I saw on the board all the current recruits that were going after. And I had to ask him, I said, David, what's my name on that board? I got a few years of eligibility left, all right? He assured me it was not. 
Now, upon hearing that story, uh, you've got two conclusions. You can say, number one, at the end of that tour, Pastor David got arrested for breaking and entering, which is possible. I will say that, all right? Or you could say, uh, Pastor David must have known someone who granted him access into that place, which actually is true. Now, why is that important? Because here's the reality. Once you belong to Jesus Christ, because of what he's done for you, you've got access to God himself, the creator of the universe. You belong to him, because, not because of what you've done or achieved, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf, praise God. Once you're in Jesus, listen to the language used to describe you and weigh it against the nagging voice of insecurity that always says you're not enough. Listen to the language in verse 10. Look at it. What's it say? Once you were not a people. So he said, hey, spiritually at one time, if you felt like an outsider, it's because you were. Before he met Jesus, he says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received uh, mercy. And, and listen, I know in, a, in American spirituality, we kind of live with this base, wrong belief that, that everybody's kind of in with God, everybody's good with God, except the people who've done something really heinous, but that simply is not the scripture that picture paints. Uh, the Bible says this in Ephesians 2. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God uh, in the world. And so he said, hey, at one point in time, you should have been insecure because your position was on the outside, looking in outside the covenant promise of God. But once you've received Jesus Christ, not only are you brought in, not only do you receive mercy instead of wrath, listen to this, you also receive a brand new identity in Jesus Christ. Please, do not limit Jesus to forgiving your past and getting you to heaven in the future that in, understand in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've got a brand new identity in the present is what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So here's what that means. That when I received Jesus Christ, uh, it wasn't just an improvement on the old me. It wasn't, here's my inadequacies, here's all my shortcomings, and now that I've received Jesus Christ, now it's Brad 2.0, a new and improved version of Brad. Well, no, he says, hey, Brad 1.0, he's dead, buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. It's not the new and improved version. You have a brand new identity in Jesus Christ, and in that identity, everything that he says about me is true, despite what anything else anyone's ever said about me my whole life. And so when I begin to grab a hold of that and live out of that, listen, then, then I'm going to say, hey, insecurity says you don't fit in, you're an outsider, you're not going to be welcome, you didn't do good enough, you're not welcome to the club. And listen, verse 10 says, you, in Jesus Christ, you belong to God. So if you're battling insecurity this morning, let me ask you a question. Literally, how does it get any better than that? That someone would look at your life and all the inadequacies and all the failures and all the shortcomings and yet through what Jesus has done for you, you so would look at you and declare, you belong to God. It literally does not get any better than that. And so we begin to wrestle with this ruling desire of insecurity until we settle the issue that when it says in verse 10, now you're God's people, and so we believe that, hey, nothing can improve upon that. No title, no accolade, no recognition could ever be better than that phrase. You are now God's people, and I'm going to actually live out of that truth. But here's the thing. Some of you hear that and, and agree with that and say amen to that, but you really don't believe that. Here's why I know. 
Because you're still spending your life looking for love in all the wrong places. That's my favorite hymn, by the way. Write that down. Listen closely. Until you really believe, I mean to the point you live out of it, until you really believe you've been accepted by God through what Jesus Christ has done, you'll spend your whole life trying to be accepted by other people based on what you have done. Let me ask you a question. If that's how you're living your life, when do you lay your head down at night and say, I've done enough? The answer is you don't. Until you really believe you've been accepted by God through Jesus Christ and what he's done, you'll spend your whole life trying to be accepted by other people and society at large based on what you have done, right? So here's what he says. He says, hey, you belong to God. It it literally can't get any better than that. But wait, there's more. Look at what he says in verse 9. How the apostle Peter describes you once you're in a relationship with Jesus. He says, you belong to God, verse 10. Verse 9, go back. He says, also, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own uh, possession. So uh, here's what he says is true, declared about you. Listen, despite how you feel, this is what's true. And let me break this down. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. Of all the identities, but it is a good one. And so let me just break this down. But before we do that, listen, uh, if you've got your big boy pants on, would you just raise your hand this morning? If your hand's not raised, I'll assume you're not wearing pants. Get out, all right? Here in the language, he's contrasting the special covenant relationship that Israel had, uh, a part of that old covenant promises, and, and what we have in Jesus Christ uh, in the new covenant. So he's making kind of comparison between these two and, and basically saying, hey, everything in Christ you've received uh, is better than what they had. It's better, okay? So let me just pull out some descriptors right from the text in verse 9. First off, he says, you're a chosen race. If you want to be a part of the old covenant, if you weren't uh, part of a special race of people, a homogeneous race of people, the Israelites, uh, what he's saying is you, you were on the outside, But he's saying in Jesus Christ, he's broken down the walls of race and origin and background and ethnicity, and he's broken down, and the veil has been opened, and access has been granted that everybody is welcome now into the family because of the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ. Praise his name. Listen to how big the new covenant invitation of grace expands uh, to anyone who will repent and believe. Listen to Revelation 7, 9. Behold... A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Here's what he's saying. Hey, when you get to heaven, not everyone's going to look like you. Not everyone's going to talk like you. But here's good news. You're all going to be dressed wearing the same outfit, robed in white, because of what Christ has done on your behalf. Praise his name. You know when you go to the doctor's office, he says you're a chosen race. You don't go to the doctor's office, you're filling out all that information, it says race, and you, you check whatever you know in there. Listen, next time just cross it all out and just write the word chosen. <laughs> How you like that, doctor, right? <laughs> Galatians 3.28 says it doesn't matter what your appearance is on the outside, because on the inside, Galatians 3.28 says we're all one in Jesus. We've all been washed by his crimson blood. But not only just any race, he says, you're a chosen race. Listen, I, 
I've done this long enough to know there's all kinds of debates about God's choice in salvation, election, how does that all work, and there's mystery and all those kind of things. But let me just, uh, here's what I always tell people. Let's not get bogged down on what's not clear for the sake of what is clear. And what is clear, despite the mystery of the motive of election, what's clear is God looked at you and God chose you. Spiritually speaking, you're not the last kid. Remember in kickball, the last kid that got picked? It was always this encouraging word. I guess I'll take Brad. He's the only one left, right? I just want to share this in all humility. I was always picked first. Write that down, all right? God didn't look down at you in salvation and say, I guess you're the only one left. Like, come on, right? No, the Bible says God in his sovereignty, the creator of the universe, the one who turns the hearts of the kings like water in his hand, looked at you and says, I'll choose that one. Come on. How do you improve on that? If you're battling insecurity, how do you improve on the fact that the God of the universe in the mystery of election looked down and chose you and invited you into his family, which scripture says you can never be cast out of again. You are a chosen race in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but he says you're a royal priesthood. Over the years, I've had people, when they first meet me, they say, you're a pastor? And I say, yeah. And they say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know what to call you. Do I call you uh, Reverend Cunningham? That's what my doctor always calls me, Reverend. I always look around like, who's he talking to? I say, oh, it's me. Sometimes they're like, hey, do I call you Pastor Brad? So like, do I call you Brother Brad? I got one time, he's like, hey, I don't know what I'm supposed to call you. I come from Catholic. Do I call you Father? I'm like, no, that's, you don't call me that. It's totally fine, right? And I just say, hey, look, you can call me what Tasha calls me at home. Like, what's that? So your majesty. I said, that'd be just fine. You can do that. Now, you know why we laugh? Because practically, I'm far from royalty. But you know what's true of me spiritually? That I, I'm related by blood, by birth, brought into, adopted in the family, Romans chapter 8, through the king of kings of the universe, Jesus Christ. And guess what? You know what that means? In the line of Jesus, joint heirs with everything he's received. I, in fact, you, in fact, if you know Jesus, you are, in fact, royalty. And so you say, I never measured up. Let me ask you, how are you going to improve on that? That you belong to the king of kings, and in fact, you're royalty. But not only are you royal, you are also a priesthood. Now, for the contrast with Israel, that was mind-blowing to them. Right? They had a special class of people, the Levites, that they would go and make intercession for the people. They had a special day of the year, the day of atonement, where the great high priest would go into the inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, and make intercession for the, for the, for the people. So if the average Joe just walked into the Holy of Holies, guess what? Boom, they're carrying him out feet first. But now, he says, in Jesus Christ, because of his mediatorship, you don't need a priest. You are a priest. You can go directly to the Father's throne because of what Christ has done for you, our great high priest. The Bible says this, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is but one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And because of that, you have access. You are a priest who can access the throne of God with boldness and confidence, the Bible declares. How does it get better than that? Chosen race, royal priesthood. But he says, hey, there's more. He says, you're also in Christ a holy nation. And so we, holy, the idea of being separate or not common means we're, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We think differently. We have different uh, pursuits. We have different motivations. We have a different way of looking uh, at the world around us. And so because that's true, because we're set apart from the world, uh, that means also we don't find our identity in comparing ourselves to others. We find our identity based on who Christ says we are in him. Listen to what one commentator said about being a holy nation as our identity. He said, just as believers... 
are a new spiritual race and a new spiritual priesthood, so they are a new spiritual nation, which is based now, listen to this, neither on ethnic identity, like the Jews, or geographical boundaries, but rather on allegiance to their heavenly king, Jesus Christ, who truly is king of kings and lord of lords. Listen, the, if you could get a hold of this, is this exciting to you? I'm looking at some of your faces. I don't know you're excited, right? I'm excited. And this is all one verse in the Bible about our identity and the power of understanding and living out of our identity as opposed to our performance, which is a root of insecurity. But there's also more. If that's not enough, look down into verse 11 and listen to this name. Now, I want you everybody to look up here. If the root cause of the catalyst of your insecurity were the names that someone else called, listen, I've counseled with people before who are still living out of the broken identity of things that were said about them on an elementary school playground. And if the root cause of your identity are the names that someone called you, parent, grandparent, coach, teacher, friend, whatever the case is, uh, listen, uh, let me just settle the issue for you right here. What, what should I be called? Verse 11 starts off and gives you the right name to be called, and what's it say? Beloved. Beloved, that the God of the universe looks at your life and doesn't go, gosh, I'm kind of disappointed. I mean, can't you do more for me? I mean, can't you be a better ambassador? A better? No, no, he looks at your life, and when he looks at you with heavenly, fatherly affection, he looks at you, not, not that you're a disappointment, he says you are beloved. Listen, despite how you feel, this is what has been declared true, that God looks at you and says you are beloved not because of how you perform, but because of what Christ has done for you. Adrian Rogers in his book, Mastering Your Emotions, talking about beloved. Uh, look, look at verse 11 first. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passion of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Listen to what Adrian Rogers wrote years ago in a book called Mastering Your Emotions. Here's what he said about beloved. He said, in Christ, you're already accepted by, in the beloved. You know what insecurity says? Do more and then you'll be accepted. What, what's he say? In Christ, you're already accepted in the beloved. Here's a remarkable fact. He loves you perfectly, 1 John 4. This gives you security. It's not our perfect love for him, but his perfect love for us that makes the difference. There's, listen to this. There is nothing you can do to make him love you more. His perfect love casts out the fear of insecurity. There's also nothing that will cause him to love you less. And so what we're saying, what's in, a lot of times the catalyst for insecurity is we've been openly rejected or love has been withheld secretly. And a wrong period of time, that false belief began to take roots in our hearts that if I would have performed better, I would have been loved better. And he says, hey, in Jesus Christ, you are beloved. There's nothing you can do that make God love you more. And more importantly, in the battle of insecurity, there is nothing you will do or ever have done that would cause God to love you less. Woo! Right? Like how excited. I mean, come on. I th <laughs> hey, here's the bad news. I think it has pulled a hammy. I don't know what happened. Here. Now, let's get this train back on the track, all right? So, I want you to listen, all right? The answer for insecurity is not to find someone who makes you feel loved. The answer for insecurity is to live out of the truth that you are loved despite how you feel. 
Folks, you can put your head down on the pillow at night on that. Despite how you feel, to live out of the truth that what's been declared is I am already loved despite my poor performance. And if you don't settle that issue, guess what? You'll try and extract love, unconditional love, out of broken people who cannot produce what only God was meant to produce. Your spouse is wonderful. Listen, I got the best wife in the room. Your spouse makes a crummy savior. You know why? Because you cannot extract perfect, unconditional love out of a flawed, sinful human being. And, but the good news is you don't have to because you're already loved in Jesus Christ. And one of the cause of insecurities, we try to gain identity and value from something that our ultimate affections should not be attached to. The response of the world. Listen, go back to verse 11. Look at what else he says. Verse 11, he says, hey, despite how you feel, what insecurity says, right, the lie, despite how you feel, you are in fact beloved already, not because of what you've done, because of what Jesus has done, you're beloved. But then he also gives us another tool in the battle. What's he saying in verse 11? Beloved. I urge you, and he describes two things we are, sojourners and exiles. Now, what, what is, why is that important in the battle of insecurity? Because here's what happens. In insecurity, oftentimes we try to get a, the right response from the world around us, and if we can just get the right response, enough likes, enough retweets, enough shares, enough affirmation, enough accolades, enough promotion, fill in the blank. If we can just get whatever it is our heart wants from around us, then guess what? Somehow I would feel more secure. Here's the problem with that. If you live with your identity based on the response of a sin-cursed, broken world, the only end result will be a broken identity. If you live based on the response of the world, then you've attached too much of your affections and value and worth and identity in something that is not only cursed, the Bible says, it's also fleeting. And so what's he say? He says, I just, in the world, if I live for Christ, I feel like an outsider. You know what he says in verse 11? You are. You're an exile. Hey, let me let you know a secret. This is in our home. I'm a sojourner is what verse 11. I'm just traveling through. Remember that song? A heavenly home is bright and fair. Right? That's true. I feel like traveling on. And you know what that means? I'm not talking about have a pessimistic, negative view of the around us. No, I'm just saying, hey, ultimately, when the world does what a sin-cursed world is designed to do, which is break your heart, uh, it's a reminder to say, step back, go, you know what? The, that's all the world can produce because it's broken. Here's the good news. I'm not home yet. My identity's not here. My identity is not the response of the world around me. My identity is declared in the fact that I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm God's own possession. I'm beloved despite the response of people. I'm just passing through. Trying to get your identity from a broken world will have a broken identity is the only end result. Listen, I hope this is encouraging. This is life altering truth of the gospel. Do not be content, again, to let Jesus think, oh, he forgave my past and he's got a home in heaven. Listen, the real life, the world, Jesus Christ radically changes your life in the present if you get a hold of these things. And listen, this is a few verses in the Bible. Let me just rattle off some laundry lists of uh, scripture describing, despite how you feel, the truth about your identity in Jesus Christ. Listen to these truths. You're no longer condemned. Romans 8.1, you're God's workmanship, Ephesians 
You were created fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. You were chosen, Ephesians 1. You are redeemed, Isaiah 43. You are the work of God's hands, Isaiah 64. You are the children of God, John chapter 1. You are heirs of God, Romans chapter 8. And that's a partialist. Let me ask you again, who do you think you are? Are you the sum total of your achievements and accolades? If so, that's dangerous because what that means is if that's your equation for getting your identity, what you have to subtract from that equation is the sum total of your failures in that equation. And if you're the sum total of your accolades and achievements, let me ask you a question. What happens when you can't achieve anymore? What happens when your body breaks down and you no longer can produce what you have to What happens when they give you a pink slip and change your name on the door? What happens when the person you gave your life to and you found your identity in that, they walk out? Listen, if you're the sum total of your achievements, then here's the bad news. You're also the sum total of your failures, and there will come a time when you can no longer perform, and if that's where identity is, you're in trouble. But guess what? I don't have to live that way. You know why? Because Christ performed perfectly on my behalf, and everything he says about me, is actually what's true about me as well. And so root your identity in the conviction that everything he says about you actually is what's true in this broken world. But while our identities in Christ is the right belief for the wrong behavior of insecurity, there's an even greater reason to settle this issue. And that's this. A right identity puts praise on our lips. Look at verse 9. And then we're done. Verse 9, what's he say? Now, so, so listen, when I'm teaching all this, it's life-altering. I hope you, it frees you from insecurity. I hope you live out how to change, transform, understanding the powerful present work of the gospel in your life. But, but there's a bigger motivation getting this right, this issue of identity, okay? It's not just so you feel better. That's the byproduct. I'm grateful to God for it. But listen, here's the bigger motivation. Look at verse 9, what's he say? He said, all these things are true about you, okay? Chosen nation, royal priesthood, all those things. Because look what he says, the second half of verse 9, so that... You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You know what insecurity is? It's self-loathing and self-hate on the inside. You know what the Bible tells me in Matthew chapter 12 verse 34? That eventually what's on the inside will come out of my mouth on the outside. So you know what that means? If my identity is self-loathing and self-hate, I'm never enough, I'll be enough, I never achieved enough, then guess what? You know what cannot come out of my mouth because it's not in my heart? The excellency of the praise of his name, the one who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, not only does this make you feel crummy if you don't settle your identity, guess what it means? It limits the amount you can glorify God with the praise of his excellency who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. self Hate in your heart will not result in praise for his marvelous excellencies out of your mouth. So there's a bigger issue, reason to settle this issue. That I'm going to live for the glory of God. I want his praise of his excellency to come out of my mouth. But it can't come out of my mouth if it's not settled in my heart. Is what we've learned. How are you going to talk about how great God is out of your mouth with self-hate in your heart? How are his excellencies going to be come out of your mouth when your thoughts are constantly dominated by your deficiencies? It won't. That's the answer. But here's the good news. In Jesus, there's hope for an insecure heart. 
And the answer is to stop believing the lies that people have said about you, or even the ones you tell yourself, and start believing what Jesus has declared is true about you. If you feel like no one ever wanted you or loved you, the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus does. That in him, you are fully known. And yet, unconditionally loved. Would you bow your heads this morning? With your head bowed this morning, I want to ask you two questions. Number one, all these promises that are available to us are only available in the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so the first question is this, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Because if you have not, then according to the verse we read earlier, you are in fact on the outside of God's family. You are in fact alienated from the covenant promises of God. That's what Ephesians 2 says. But here today, if you'll confess your sins, if you'll declare you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried and rose the third day, and you'll receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then guess what? You can receive his mercy and be welcomed into the family of God. And all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So would you accept Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior? Would you pray right now, despite how you feel, would you pray right now and say, I'm accepting Jesus as my Savior. I'll never be enough. I'll never be good enough. I'll never do enough. But Jesus did for me. And I'm receiving him today for the forgiveness of my sin. Would you pray that right now by faith? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've battled insecurity, would you just pray this prayer today by faith? Lord, I confess and repent. Out of living out of the lies that a broken world has told me about myself. And not only do I repent of that, I believe that what Jesus Christ said about me is really true. And would you pray right now, Lord, empower me with your grace that literally as I leave this room today, I would leave here fully confident that I am in fact beloved. That I would live out of the truth that everything you've said is true about me. And that Jesus, this world cannot offer me something it does not have. That Jesus, you are my living hope. And so Lord, by faith, Help me live as if that were true because it is. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name who we have access to you because we can. Amen.